welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get done as quick as possible because um, at 10.30 on the dot, my alarm goes off and I've got to eat tuna and drink protein. And so... <laughs> I want to talk about storms this morning. I want to talk about the storms we sometimes face in life. But but more particularly, I want to talk about the storms that we face in life that are coupled with stunning silence from heaven. There are times in life when the, the clouds gather and the storm hits and, and everything seems to go wrong and then you cry out to God and miraculously and, and mightily and nearly instantaneously He moves. And, and we give glory to Him for His provision and His protection, for, for Him bringing us through the storm. We, we thank Him and we love Him for it. But how many know there are also times in life that, that the clouds gather and the storm hits and, and we cry out to God and he doesn't react or respond quite as quickly as we would feel comfortable. Well, we're doing everything right by the book. Well, we're doing exactly what we did last time when we saw our miracle, but this time it feels like heaven's gone a little bit quiet. Jesus has gone a little bit silent in the middle of our storm. It's really important that we talk about these kinds of seasons in life. Because I know it's of a value to pastors Tony and Kath that this church doesn't only just worship Jesus as an ethereal figure that makes everything nice, but, but we recognize that Jesus is the one who comes near and stays near and is here and wants to be a part of our everyday life. So we want to talk about, come on, everyday life here at church. So it's important that we wrestle with and process through these seasons, come on, that are real for all of us. Times when the storms hit and Jesus goes a little bit quiet. Because if we don't learn how to process through these seasons in a biblical and healthy manner, we can find ourselves getting stuck in our spiritual journey. We can end up getting stuck in a valley of despair. Where we feel like at the end of the day, my life is always going to be one that's marked by hardship and pain. And God does not want you to live in a valley of despair. He wants to help you process through where he is in the middle of your storm, even when it feels like he's a little bit quiet. If we don't learn how to process through these seasons properly, we can end up getting stuck in a valley of doubt. Where we always question in our heads and our hearts, hey, I know God, you're good, but do you really want to be good in my life? I've seen you so faithful to everybody else, but are you really going to be that faithful to me? God does not want you to get stuck in a valley of doubt. He wants to help you understand exactly where he is, even when he's a little bit quiet in the middle of the storm. Silence is disturbing. Silence sometimes is profoundly distressing. But if we don't learn how to process through silence, it will eventually become destructive. So here for just a few minutes before we all grab ourselves some protein and some tuna, I just want to talk about where Jesus is when it feels like he's a little bit silent in your storm. Let me pray and then we'll jump into this. 
Did Jesus help? Amen. I remember a season in my life when Jesus went a little bit silent in my storm. Uh, the storm came in the form of my firstborn baby girl, Caitlin. And when Caitlin came along, uh, everyone was telling me, are you prepared for parenthood? And I just thought to myself, of course I'm prepared. This is going to be easy. Uh, I was a youth communicator. Caitlin was going to be a young person. We were going to get each other. You know, I read a book. Um, I, I just thought this was going to be really, really simple. And then when Caitlin was born, and for the first couple of months, when she ate well and slept well and even smiled for pictures, I thought to myself, this is a walk in the park. I should write a book. <laughs> but then something started happening after three months that didn't stop happening for two years. At 9 p.m., and then again at 10.30 p.m., and then again at midnight, and then again at 1 a.m., and then again at 2.30 a.m., and then again at... 3.30 a.m., my, my little baby girl would rise up out of her slumber and she would begin to cry. And, and I'm not just talking about cute little baby tears that make you want to take a picture of her. I'm talking about blood-curdling screams that make you want to flick holy water on her and see if something flies out, blah, that kind of <laughs> crying. So we found ourselves night after night after night, me and my wife, sitting on our black couch in the middle of our living room, uh, a crying baby, a, a crying wife, and me nearly crying, but not crying because I'm a manly man, <laughs> just going, what is going on? Night after night after night, sleep deprived, exhausted. And so as you do as a good Christian soldier in the middle of this kind of storm, you cry out to God. And you start doing all the, you know, the deals and the bargains. You kind of, hey, Jesus, like, like I, I know that, that, you know, that, that I have kind of done, done some stuff for you in the past. So if you want to kind of cash all that good stuff in right now just to help me and my family sleep. If I need to mortgage my soul to you for the rest of my life and serve you for nothing, just help me and my family sleep one night. But for some reason, in the middle of this storm, it felt like night after night after night, Jesus was amazingly quiet. Now, there have been times in my life from a, from, a, from a lack point of view or from a health point of view or from, a, or from a relational tension point of view, I've cried out to God and he's moved powerfully, instantaneously, miraculously. But for some reason, in this peculiar situation, I found myself staring at a ceiling feeling like Jesus, for some reason, had gone quiet in the middle of this storm. So, so you start you know, doing all the right Christian things and you, you get your Bible out and you start claiming scriptures over your baby. You've got your Bible and your, thes and, your, and your concordance and you're finding every single verse with the words stillness, silence, quiet, peace, shut up. You're just kind of just reading it and, and you're rubbing the Bible on your baby's head. But, but, but you still, amazing silence in the middle of this storm, night after night after night, silence is distressing. Silence is disturbing. Silence was becoming destructive. So, so you push it even further and you think to yourself, okay, what I need to have here is I need to have some calming worship music. So I've got, you know, I pull out Hillsong Simply Worship 2 and I've, it's playing there. So I'm reading Bible verses and Darlene is singing, but still amazing silence in the storm. 
You go, I'm going to go even further. I'm going to turn some Christian TV on. So I've got Joyce Meyer preaching. I've got Darlene singing. I'm rubbing the Bible on my baby's head. But still, night after night after night, incredible silence in the storm. Distressing, disturbing, becoming destructive. And because I'm a part of a, a faith community, you're kind of surrounded by a demographic within any church which, which will remain nameless, women, who will then come forward and try to give you advice on how to get your baby to go to sleep. I had this nice old Asian lady come and tell me what I needed to do was to get some boiling Chinese tea and pour it on her back. And what would happen is a black hair would grow out, I need to shave that hair off and my baby would go to sleep. <laughs> so here I am in the middle of the night and... Darlene is singing, Joyce is preaching, the kettle is boiling, because that's how you get when you find yourself with Jesus being silent in the middle of your storm. And before all you white people get on your child-rearing high horses, there were some crazy Australian remedies too. This old Australian lady told me what I needed to do was get my baby, wrap her up in towels really tight, and put her on the washing machine and turn it on. This is a lady actually back there who's going, Sir, that actually works, that actually works. Because she said the rocking motion would make your baby feel like it was in the womb again and she would go to sleep. So here I am in the middle of the night. Darlene singing, Joyce is preaching, the kettle is boiling, the washing machine is on with nothing in it. Because that's how you get when you experience silence from heaven in the middle of the storm. Come on. It's distressing, disturbing, and to our soul it was becoming destructive. Now, I know that many of you here in this room have never experienced that kind of silence in the middle of that kind of storm, but I know for a fact that anyone here in this room who has done this journey for any period of time with Jesus can testify to a time in your life, amen, when you felt Jesus just went a little bit quiet in the middle of one of your storms. Hey, you might be in the middle of one of those seasons of silence right now. Some of you have gone through a season of silence in a, in a financial storm. You know, you're doing everything right by the book. You're claiming him as Jehovah Jireh, clap, your provider. You are going along to businessmen's and businesswomen's breakfast. You're sowing, you're giving, you're tithing, and, 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 and you're doing everything that a good Christian should. But, but even though everyone else around you seems to be like kind of bouncing back from this global financial crisis, it feels like that you've missed the elevator ride up. And you may have even been sitting at your dinner table this week looking at your bills, kind of wondering how we're going to make ends meet. And you're looking out towards heaven, you're saying, hey God, I love you to come through on our behalf and I love you to, to miraculously provide. And we hear these wonderful miracles about how you have blessed other people within our community. How about us just a little bit? Why are you going quiet right now in the middle of our financial storm? That silence is distressing, disturbing. It's becoming destructive. There are some people here going through the middle of a storm and they're called teenagers. And mum and dad, you're here this morning, you're going, they were such little angels just a few years ago. And we'd done everything right by the book. We have raised them up in such a way that they would, weren't meant to depart from these paths that we put them on. 
But, but I look at my kids and week after week, they more and more resemble these prodigal children that are running away. I have friends within this church and their kids go along to youth on a Friday night and they're worshipping and loving God, but my kids seem to be resenting God. So, so God, could you show up and intervene on behalf of my children? Could you do something here and turn their hearts towards you? Why have you gone so quiet? Do you care about my kids? Why have you gone quiet in the middle of this family storm? There are some people here this morning who are going through a, a relational storm. There are some single people here who wish they were in a relationship so they could go through a relational storm. <laughs> Some young single women here going, I'm doing everything right by the book. I'm like dating Jesus in the meantime, keep myself pure and holy, <laughs> waiting for Mr. Wright to come along, half Edward, half Jacob, reads his Bible like a lovely person. And, like, <laughs> and, you, and you laugh, but, but I see singleness being such a point of contention in the church today. As young men and young women sit alone on a Saturday night asking this question, this question that you hate asking, but it keeps coming back. Is there something wrong with me? Everyone else seems to be engaging in a relationship and they're finding people who are going to complete them. But for me, here I sit feeling so incomplete. Hey, hey, Jesus, I love you. And I know you're meant to be more than enough. But why are you so quiet in the middle of my singleness storm? There are some married people here this morning who wished they were single again. <laughs> that was your opportunity, man, to laugh really loud, like kind of. <laughs> if you amen to that point, I've caused some issues this afternoon, and I apologize. But you really should have kind of just really jumped on that, you know, sitting next to your wife. You know, wish you were single. <laughs> that's, it, that's, not, that's everyone. That I love you, baby. I love you. You look good. But I'm a pastor, and I listen to your stories. I know there are many men and women within this faith community who are really wrestling through a storm in their marriage. And you're individually and separately crying out to God, God, would you do something? Would you heal this? Why have you gone quiet in the middle of this storm? How about those health storms? How about those doctor's reports? How about those hospital visits? How about those times when you find yourself kind of looking to heaven going, I've heard all of these incredible testimonies throughout the years of how you've healed cancer and, and helped people get back onto their physical, uh, back into physical shape, but how about in my life? Come on, my disease, my sickness, my ailment, my disability. Hey, Jesus, why have you gone quiet in the middle of my storm? Silence is distressing. Silence is disturbing. And unless we allow Jesus, his word, by his grace, manifested in his power, come into this silence, it will eventually become destructive. So what I want to do just for a few minutes as I kind of land this morning is I want to spend some time exploring a story in the Gospels where Jesus went silent in the middle of his disciples' storm. And I just want to make a, a bunch of just basic observations out of this story and propose to you that these are theological realities for us today. 
And after we establish that these are theological realities, I want to shape them, come on, into faith declarations that we are going to use as we storm through life. Recognizing and understanding exactly where he is, even when it feels like he's a little bit quiet in our storm. Jesus doesn't want you to get stuck. Jesus doesn't want your faith in him to be destroyed. He wants it to be very clear in your heads and in your hearts, reverberating as truth within your soul where he is, even when it feels like he's a little bit quiet in your storm. If you got your Bibles, would you go with me to the book of Mark? Look at a story in the book of Mark. Everyone say Mark. Say Mark like an Australian. Mark. Say Mark like an American. Mark. Say Mark like a Chinaman. Mark. Awesome. See, that's racism again. It's real bad. Real bad here at Victory. Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. Here's a beautiful story of a time when Jesus the Master, our Master, goes quiet in the middle of his disciples' storm. Verse 35, that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him, Jesus, along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. A powerful storm blew in. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. I added that part in myself. (laughs) The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So here we have a story of Jesus with his disciples getting from point A through to point B. Just like kind of our life. We're just trying to get from point A through to point B and stick as close to Jesus as possible. This day, Jesus gets them to get into the boat. I want you to recognize that right from the start, that Jesus' hands were all over this episode. They were in this boat, they were on this lake, they ended up in the storm, and Jesus was the instigator and the navigator and the one who was over it all. I wanted to kind of make this point because I want you to understand that sometimes when the storm blows in, some of you think it's Jesus' judgment on you, Is Jesus kind of getting angry at you, or Jesus has forgotten about you? No, you've got to understand this. Storms are par, come on, for the disciples' life. This is just how it is. You've got to break this paganistic thinking that says that when things are going good, God is happy. When things are going bad, God has got angry. No, sometimes bad things happen to good people. So here a bunch of disciples were right smack bang in the middle of Jesus' will. And a storm rolls in. 
an unrelenting storm. This storm was so intense, this storm was so um, persistent, this storm was so threatening that these young men, most of which were raised on this very Sea of Galilee, thought that this was it. We are going under. We are swimming with the fishes. There is this, this is the point of no return. This is too intense. We cannot bear it any longer. And the entire time, throughout this entire episode, Jesus was asleep on a cushion. <sighs> a deep state of dream-producing NREM sleep. Jesus was there sleeping on a cushion. The disciples eventually wake Jesus up. I would have loved to have seen like the kind of the conversation before one of the apostles, you know, got worked up the gumption to kind of go wake Jesus up. They're like kind of having a bit of disciples meeting. They're all hanging on and whoa, this is really bad. Whoa, this is this. Someone needs to wake up the master. Go on, come on, somebody. Hey, 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 um, um, Thomas, you say something to him. And Thomas goes, I, I doubt he'll listen to me. Hey, hey, Peter, uh, you, you say something to Jesus. Well, yesterday he called me the devil. Hey, 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 Judas Iscariot, you say something. I don't know. He keeps looking. Me funny, and so the disciples, right? They're all like, Who's gonna? Jesus eventually rises, looks at the wind, looks at the waves, says, Quiet, be still, and creation is calm, peace is restored, God's glory is magnified. But more about that later. I want to ask this simple question Where was He? When there was silence in the storm. And like I said, I want to propose to you, this is exactly where he is when it feels like he's being silent in your storm. Point number one, if you're writing down notes, I'd love you to kind of just to jot along. If you have a notebook and a pen, pull it out. If you have a tattoo gun, it's time to warm it up and clear the thigh. If, it's, if you have a, an iPhone, thank the Lord for Steve Jobs. And you can like kind of, you know... Follow along with your notes. If you have a Blackberry, I've got nothing for you. (laughs) Where was Jesus? Where is Jesus when there is silence in our storm? Point number one, he is still in your boat. Taking Jesus along with them in the boat. You've got to understand that, that throughout this entire drama, Jesus was right there. Come on, in the boat. He had not left them. He had not forsaken them. The, the, the disciples went scrambling around trying to find life jackets, only to find that somehow Jesus had already skipped. No, no, Jesus right there in the middle of their darkest hour was, come on, in the the boat. He had not left them. He had not forsaken them. When he promised that he would be with them to the very end of this age, he was right there being not only the grand promise maker, but the great promise keeper. He was in the boat. And I want you to grab this. If nothing else here this morning, if you're going through a season where it feels like the storms have hit, but heaven's gone quiet and Jesus is silent, you need to understand that he is still in the boat. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. Lord, he'll be with you to the very end of this age. Jesus never ever promised that if you come to him, everything would work out. 
He never told you that if you gather at the altar and pray this prayer, your life would be like a frolic in a field full of flowers forever. He didn't say that because he couldn't deliver that. It's not that he couldn't because he's not God, but because he is the one who doesn't take us out of the world, but he is the one who comes into our world with us. He wanted us to know that even after following him, there'd be good days and bad days. Sunshiny days and thunderstormy days. Times where you stand on top of a hill, singing the hills are alive with the sound of music. Other times where you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But this is the one thing that he did promise. That no matter what you experience, no matter what twist or what turn, no matter what befalls your journey, Jesus would there be with you. Elvis may have left the building, but Jesus hasn't. He is still in your boat. Smile! This is good news. You're sitting at your dinner table and you're stressing over the bills. You're still in your boat. You're locked in your, in your bedroom hearing mum and dad fight and you're kind of going, God, can you do something here? He's still in your boat. You're sitting up at night in bed with your husband wondering what time your kids are going to come. He is still in your boat. You're sitting in a doctor's office and, and he clears his throat and he says, I've got some bad news. In the middle of that, he is still in your boat. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. That's the reason that I handed my life over to Jesus Christ when I was 17 years of age because this is how Christianity was markedly different than every other religion that has ever been or ever will come. Every other religion celebrates a God from afar, one to be worshipped, celebrated from a distance. Christianity alone talks about the God who came near who descended into our brokenness to embrace us and to understand us and to walk out every single one of our days, always with a whisper, there are better days to come. But in the meantime, I'm still here with you. My friends, where is Jesus? Even when he's quiet, he's still in your boat. Smile. This is very good news. Point number two, not only is Jesus still in your boat, Jesus is still in control. Jesus is still, come on, in control. I'm going to keep saying that until someone starts believing it. Jesus, even in the middle of your storm, even when he feels like he's a little bit, he is still in, come on, control. He grabs hold of your life. And he doesn't let go. He has not slipped. He has not lost grip. I I love it. Here Jesus is in the boat and he's sleeping on a cushion. But could I propose to you that when Jesus slept, this wasn't a declaration of how he didn't care. No, this was a declaration of how he wasn't stressed. Because this is Jesus, people. Not just a radical rabbi, not just a miracle worker. This is Jesus, the very son of God. Colossians chapter 1 reminds us, this is Jesus, through whom everything was made, for whom everything was made, in whom everything is held together. This is Jesus, the glue of the universe. 
Every atom, every eye, and every proton, every element in this world is held together by his very nature. And this is the same God who grabs hold of your life, grabs hold of your finances, grabs hold of your family, grabs hold of your future, and says, I will not let go. Come on, I am still in control. There isn't a moment that I freak out and think to myself, oh, what am I going to do? There isn't a moment that catches me by surprise. He slept there in the boat, not because he didn't love his disciples, it's because he wasn't stressed. He's the alpha, he's the omega, he's the beginning, he's the end, he's the start of the movie and the end of the movie and everything in between. And he knew in his divine sovereignty that even though the disciples thought that this was it, this was just a blip within their storybook. This is Jesus. He wasn't stressed. You know why he wasn't stressed? The waves that were tossing him around. Guess who invented the waves? The sea that was threatening to drag him under. Guess who actually made that sea? Do not allow a season of silence to diminish your understanding of how sovereign and powerful and great and strong our King Jesus is. He does not slip. He does not lose grip. Amen? He is still in control. In the middle of lack, he's still in control. In the middle of your singleness, he is still in control. In the middle of your pain, he is still in control. In the middle of your pressure, he is still in control. I'm sure that God is ambidextrous, meaning that he can use both hands equally well. But this is particularly strong right hand he keeps talking about. that He grabs hold of your life with and he doesn't let go. He does not slip, amen? He does not lose grip. Oh, growing up, I remember there was, a, there was a movie star from back in the day. A lot of you people who were born like kind of post-90s won't know his name. His name is Sylvester Stallone. Love me some sly. Who knows who Sylvester Stallone is here? Come on in this room. Who's ever watched a movie called Cliffhanger? Cliffhanger is a great movie. It, it, the opening scene uh, has Sylvester Stallone. Because I, I love Sylvester because he plays basically the same role in every movie. Just with it. In every movie. Am I right? So this time he's like his rock climber in, in, in Cliffhanger. You know at the start of the movie exactly what's going to happen because there's a woman rock climbing with him who seems inconsequential to the rest of the plot. So you know what's going to happen. She's going to fall. <laughs> and sure enough, we're in Hollywood. Here's a piece of rope with a two-ton breaking strain. Here's a woman that weighs about 14 kilograms. And snap, the, the, the rope breaks and she drops, but Sylvester grabs her. And so here she, she's dangling over this massive chasm. Ah! And Sylvester is holding onto her. His, my, his biceps and his triceps and his, his veins are all just popping. And, and, and here Sylvester is trying to like calm her down. <laughs> Could you imagine like hanging over like a hundred meter drop with jagged rocks everywhere and the brother trying to calm you down. <laughs> so you think to yourself for a moment, if there is someone on planet Earth who has the strength, the power, the might, you know, the historical use of of performance-enhancing drugs. If there was someone on planet Earth who'd be strong enough to carry this woman to safety, it'll be Sylvester. But sure enough, even Sly with his best efforts could only hold on for so long. And you see, you remember the scene that the fingers start to break apart and eventually, bang, even Sylvester has to let go. 
She begins to fall. And the last thing she sees before she hits the ground is... What a way to go. Young man, young woman. Not so young man, not so young woman. I'm not making any eye contact. When Jesus grabs hold of your life, he grabs hold of it totally and with an amazing sense of finality. By his grace and his goodness, he latches on. He doesn't let go. That doesn't preclude us from seasons of wondering where he is and why is it like this. But not one of those questions negate this reality. He's grabbed hold of you and he cannot now let go. Because he has promised to be with you. To not leave you, forsake you. He has grabbed hold of you. And right now, I just speak over your life, your circumstance. The situation that seems so encroaching. He's still in control. Thirdly and lastly, not only is he still in your boat, not only is he still in control, Jesus is also getting ready to act. He's getting ready to act. I love it. So Jesus finally wakes up. And he turns to the wind and the waves and he says, quiet, be still. And that term in the Greek was literally the kind of phrase that a parent would use to scold a child. I have a mum that when I used to get into trouble, my dad used to like yell and oh, I'm getting belts flying, belts are flying. And my mum used to do this. And like, whoa, this is... That's the connotation. Jesus looked at the most domineering factor in all of creation, an unstoppable weather pattern. He goes, Tss. and it is calmed. So great and powerful is Jesus. Come on. Can I, just rem- I just feel I need to take you on a 30-second journey back into Sunday school. This is Jesus we're talking about, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Come on. Powerful enough to make the heavens and the earth in six days and still take a day off to watch AFL football. This is Jesus. <laughs> Come on, brought forth the nation of Israel from a, a pensioner and his barren wife. This is Jesus. Brought down the walls of Jericho with nothing but a song and a shout. Come on, this is Jesus. Separated the, the Red Sea with an old man and a stick. Come on, this is Jesus. Closed the mouth of the lion. This is Jesus. Opened the eyes of the blind. This is Jesus. Birthed the church. Saved your crazy life. Come on. This is Jesus. And he is as powerful as ever. And he has the goodness and the ability to move on your behalf. And he will, by his grace, for his glory, in his time, and for your good. Amen? He is getting ready to act. But in the meantime, don't miss it. He's doing some of his best work. See, I love it. So Jesus gets up and he acts. But he doesn't act just to display his power, he acts to teach them a lesson. Because he's asking them, like a, a schoolmaster at the end of a test, do you, do you guys still not get it? 
We've been kind of rolling here now for a period of time, trying to teach you a bunch of things, but it still feels like we've got to keep going over old ground here. I'm God, you're not. I, I love you, I know it's hard to get, but, but I'm going to look after you. And then the disciples keep talking to each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him around the words. They leave this season with a greater revelation of who he is than which they started with. All of this to say that Jesus will act on your behalf. Your miracle will come. Jesus will bring a resolution to this situation. But don't miss the point. He's doing something in the meantime. By his grace, for his glory, in his time for your good, he will act. Now, sometimes it takes longer than we would like. But because God is more interested in the man or woman that you're becoming than just being some kind of celestial genie, you work out how to rub the right way. Because God is more interesting, interested in the faith that is growing. Come on, he will sometimes allow us to go through a season of silence. But do not be mistaken. He is doing some of his best work in your life. We do not grow. We we do not come to a point of understanding who he is and how truly great he is. In those moments where the sun shines warmly on our face, no, we learn and we grow in these areas in the cold, bitter winter of the soul. I've got a feeling there are some people here in this room who keep going around the same mulberry bush, never really kind of getting what God wants to give because they keep trying to pray their way out of the stuff that God has spent so much time getting them into. Stop doing it. Seasons of silence suck. But he's doing his best work. That's where you become strong. It's easy to theorize and theologize about his goodness when things are going good, but you just wait till you declare that in the middle of profound and encompassing bad. I believe you're good anyway. It's easy to sing about how he's a provider and how he's good and he's in control and he blesses me, but you just wait till you find yourself going, I have got nowhere else to turn, and then he comes through. Hey, it's one thing to, to sing amazing grace and how sweet this sound is. It's, it's wonderful to do that when life is rosy, but you wait till you start declaring that in the middle of your darkest moment. Amazing grace goes from a hymn to the soundtrack of your life. My friends, he is doing some of his best work. Hey, my time is done. The alarm is going off. My protein is getting warm. As is my protein, my, my, my tin of tuna. So we've got to wrap this up. But I leave this with you. When you ask this question, where is he when he's quiet? I propose to you, and I challenge you to hold on and to not let go. Declare with your lips and with your lives. Amen? still in my boat. He's still in control. And by his grace, for his glory, in his time, for my good, he will act. But in the meantime, don't miss it. 
He's doing some of his best work. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.